1: Hello and welcome back or welcome to Mugshots, where we look into the lives of some of the most influential people in our world and ask what drives them and what made them what they are today. I'm Michael Crick and in this episode we're exploring the life and career of the British Secretary of State for Business and Trade, Kemi Badenoch, who's also the Women and Equalities Minister. She's a rising star on the right of British politics. She's made a name for herself as an advocate for social mobility and education reform and technological innovation. But she isn't without controversy. Lots of controversy. Talking to us to profile Kemi Badenoch in this episode, I have the black Conservative peer Tony Sewell. Stephen Greenhouse, who served with her in the Communities and Leveling Up Department not that long ago, and also the backbench Tory MP, Danny Kruger, who used to be political secretary for Boris Johnson in Downing Street. Danny, hello. If you had to sum up Kemi Badenok in three adjectives, what would they be?
2: The three adjectives I'd give Kemi are courageous, warm and
1: liberal. Olukemi Olufunto Adigoke, as she was originally called, or Kemi Adigoke, was born on the 28th of January 1980 in Wimbledon in South London. But that's only half the story, for her parents actually lived in Nigeria, where her father Femi was a GP and her mother Faye was an academic psychologist. The couple agreed that Faye should come to London to give birth to Kemi in a private maternity home, before they then went back to Nigeria. Kemi spent some of her childhood in America, where her mother became a university lecturer, but most of her time as a child was spent in Nigeria, which was troubled in those days, both economically and politically. After a string of military coups and amid crippling inflation, her father used almost all of his dwindling savings to put the 16-year-old Kemi on a plane back to London, where she was entitled to live through being born here. She stayed with a family friend to do her A-levels at an F.E. college in South London, and she worked part-time at McDonald's. Danny Kruger, it's a pretty unusual background, that, isn't it, for, a, for an MP, particularly a Conservative MP?
2: Well, it is, yes, and it reflects well, I think, on our party that she's had such a brilliant career in our, with the Conservatives. She's both proudly Nigerian in origin and talks really well about her upbringing and her, the lessons she's got from her background there, but also she loves this country, and has such a strong sense of the advantages it has given her. She's brilliant. She's proudly patriotic and gloriously cosmopolitan.
1: Shows a certain confidence as well, doesn't it, coming to London at at 16,
2: uh, a totally new world to her. Yes, Kemi is not afraid. You can see that from how she operates in the House of Commons. She's entirely herself, confident and courageous. And even when she's really sticking out, as she does when she talks on culture issues, and I can imagine, amateur psychologist as I am, that coming to London as a 16-year-old on her own and more or less making her own way in the world must have given her the strength of character that she needs for the job she's in now. Kemi
1: Badenoch often says she's effectively a first-generation immigrant – And her Nigerian childhood, she explained, in her maiden speech as an MP six years ago, is why she's a Conservative. That speech was made not long after a Welsh Labour MP had greeted her in the Commons, and seeing she was black, had assumed she must be Labour too. Here's a clip from her maiden speech.
3: I'm often inexplicably confused for a member of the Labour Party. I can't think why. I am... A. Conservative.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: To, to all intents and purposes, I'm a first-generation immigrant. Born in Wimbledon, yes, but I grew up in Nigeria. I chose to make the United Kingdom my home. Growing up in Nigeria, I saw real poverty. I experienced it. Living without electricity, doing my homework by candlelight, because the state's electricity board couldn't provide power. Fetching water from a borehole a mile away in heavy, rusty buckets, because the nationalised water company couldn't get water out of the taps. Unlike many colleagues born since 1980, I was unlucky enough to live under socialist policies. It is not something I would wish on anyone, and that's just one of the reasons why I am a Conservative.
1: And later in that speech, she created a certain frisson with this
3: joke. As Woody Allen said about sex, if it's not messy, you're not doing it right. Right.
1: Quite gay for a maiden speech. Tony Sewell, if you had to sum up uh, Kemi Badenoch in three words, what would they
4: be? Right, I would say that um, Kemi Badenoch is charismatic. I would say she's confident and she's competent. Kemi has a lot of presence. You know, she comes to that dispatch box. There's a sort of deference about her, which is, I mean, she looks very young for that, but it's really funny. She's got a kind of, A very young face, but then it kind of just translates into this charismatic um, figure. And she does have a wonderful, dry sense of humor, which um, in a way does kind of deflate some of the pomposity that is around us sometimes in this Westminster bubble. The other C is it's linked to charismatic and it's a confidence. And it comes from a, a confidence that um, I think is rooted in the Nigerianness of her. And that is that. She is a little bit like Odysseus in the sea. She, she, when all the sirens and the adversity comes towards her, it just bounces off. I wish I could have a little bit of bottle, a little bit of that because that's, that's one of my things. I, I, I kind of worry too much what people think about me, and I think that that's the kind of almost. I'm not going to say ruthless, but you just need that kind of figure, particularly in a man's world. Um, you need you need that that kind of nature and then of course she's a very competent minister she she gets the job done she comes from an unusual background for a politician doesn't she
1: middle-class parents but brought up in nigeria came to london when she was 16 doesn't have english as a first language it is very unusual
4: in in politics and particularly concerted politics yes and no because Part of that Nigerian migration to Britain is a very unusual one. It comes in a different way, in a different way than, than perhaps uh, anything we 've seen before. Lots of it is dependent on the job that your parents have uh, a, a lot of it also is coming from people who are not necess- who are actually have uh, already been educated and trained already inside Nigeria. And so uh, coming to Britain with with stuff already there, already made. Nigerians come to Britain in a more complex way, I think, than other people do. And I think that's that's partly why you've seen her come in in this way. However, I would add that all of those kinds of lines in that you see are adding to her credibility. For example, the fact that she went and worked in mcdonald's not many people on that dispatch box as she looks across have done that for a living
1: was she a beneficiary in a way of what people disparagingly call health tourism i mean she was brought here to be born by her mother um
4: and it's because of that that she was entitled to come back here at the age of 16 i don't know you have to listen i don't know the the details of kemi is kind of way in which she got here and, 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 all the, and all of that. I mean, look, at the end of the day, she's in Britain, for one thing, I can think, and that's what I call immigrant optimism. In other words, her parents, her family, saw that Britain, it, it, it was a place, a space where they could better themselves and they could see the advantages within the society and took advantage of those those things that were there. Britain is seen as an open place, a place where basically you can use your talents and by merit you can rise. Kemi Badenoch
1: went to the University of Sussex to study computer systems engineering and later did a law degree part-time at Birkbeck College in London. She had a series of jobs in both IT and banking and even worked for the rich people's bank, Coots. In 2005, she joined the Conservative Party and that's how she met her husband, Hamish Badenoch, a banker whom she married in 2012. Meanwhile, in the 2010 election, she stood for the Conservatives against Labour's Tessa Jowell in Dulwich. She sat on the London Assembly for a couple of years and in April 2017, when Theresa May called a snap election, Badenoch tried to become candidate in Hampstead and Kilburn, but lost that selection, just as well, for the Tories lost Hampstead. Instead, at the last moment, Badenoch was picked to fight Saffron Walden in Essex, a plum seat which is 93% white, but which she then won with a whopping majority of 25,000 she delivered a strong speech at the selection after pumping herself up with the song Eye of the Tiger from Rocky III booming through her headphones. The man she pipped for the Saffron Walden selection, by a dozen votes or so, was one of Theresa May's closest advisers. But May forgave her, and only seven months later, she actually made Badenoch Tory vice chair in charge of future candidates. But immediately, she spotted a conflict of interest and threw her husband, Hamish, a Tory councillor, off the candidates' list. And in a video interview with Core Politics, Kemi Badenoch owned up to what she called a foolish prank from a decade before. Not committed as an unruly teenager, but when she was 28. Let's listen to that confession. What's the naughtiest thing you've ever done?
3: the naughtiest thing i about 10 years ago i hacked into oh my god to say about uh, hacked into an mp's another mp's web a labor mp's website <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and i changed um all the stuff in there to say nice things about tories That's nice funny, yeah, but i wouldn't name who <laughs>
1: <laughs> the hacking incident had made news when it occurred as the Labour MP concerned, was Harriet Harman, then Deputy Labour Leader under Gordon Brown. For a few hours, Harman's website contained a statement telling Brown she was quitting Labour and backing Boris Johnson for the Mayor of London. Legally, Bazenock had committed a crime, though Harman forgave her. Danny, it, it strikes me as quite interesting... I mean, it's, you know, a little bit of colour and it's a, an amusing story. But it also strikes me, it, it tells you a, a couple of things about her character as well, doesn't it? That that A, the initial incident and then B, the confession to it.
2: Yes, yeah, so you can tell there that she's entrepreneurial, she's savvy with tech, she's mischievous and doesn't mind a bit of political knockabout. And she's also confident in herself enough to to admit to things that she did, uh, and I think she shows that sort of tolerance and, well, that liberalism, actually, that I think describes her. She's she, she's pretty relaxed with what people get up to, including in the uh, cut-and-thrust of politics. Uh,
1: indeed, most, you know, a lot of com- politicians, if they were asked, what's the naughtiest thing you'd ever done, they'd say something boring, like uh, running through a field of corn. The same core politics interview also contained... Another tricky question. Would you ever want to be Prime Minister?
3: No, 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 no.
1: Yet in less than six years in Parliament, Badenoch's rise has been almost relentless, with ministerial jobs at education, the Treasury, the Foreign Office, levelling up housing, trade, and now business and trade combined. But her time in Whitehall has also involved almost three years in two stints as Minister for Equalities, where she stoked up all sorts of controversy. She's often described as a culture warrior in the war on woke. Kemi Badenoch was attacked for her views on gay rights and trans equality. She was caught in an audio recording from 2018 as describing trans women as men. And she seemed to mock gay marriage. Only recently, she defended the right of the SNP leadership candidate Kate Forbes to vote against gay marriage. Danny, you say that she's a liberal, but many people would argue she's not a liberal at all. She's she's very conservative, socially conservative. I mean, how can you argue she's a liberal when most people would regard her as conservative when it comes to
2: uh, issues of equality? Well, conservatism includes a healthy dose of liberalism. When I say she's liberal, I mean she believes in human freedom, in individual opportunity, and in the freedom of speech and of conscience. So she speaks up for people, even if she doesn't agree with them. And an example of that would be Kate Forbes, in recent weeks, the SNP leadership contender who outraged liberal, so-called liberal opinion, by having the temerity to suggest that she would have voted on gay marriage in accordance with her religious beliefs. Now, Kemi doesn't share those religious beliefs, or those, or that her attitude on gay marriage. But she spoke absolutely immediately.
1: Well, I mean, you say that, but a video came out uh, not long ago from 2018, which she seemed to uh, Kemi did not seem to oppose
2: gay I'm marriage. Not aware, I'm not aware of that. Uh, I mean, my understanding is that she's in favour now, at least. I don't know if she was historically. People changed their minds; the whole country changed its mind on that topic. So, but the important thing is whether she believes whether she agrees with you or not. She believes in your right to say it, and. I was impressed with the way she came out in defense of Kate Forbes. She's a liberal in that sense. And, you know, my view is that freedom is grounded in these traditional social forms. Anyway, we can't have liberty without an ordered society that respects the relationships that give us meaning. So to be pro-family, even pro quite a traditional idea of family is not to be illiberal. What's illiberal is when you tell people they're not allowed to have express a view in public or not allowed to live their life the way they want. And,
1: Tony Sewell, Lord Sewell, got to know Badenoch a couple of years ago when, after the emergence of the Black Lives Matter campaign, Boris Johnson asked him to chair a commission into racial and ethnic disparities in Britain. Tony Sewell, do you not think that Kemi Badenoch occasionally goes a bit far? I mean, for instance, when she said, I don't care about colonialism, isn't there a, a sense of her, you know, deliberately
4: going out to pick a fight with people? Yeah, I think sometimes, look, look, I'm not here again to try and find out every word that Kemi says. Sometimes what happens with that kind of phraseology, when people requote it, it's always taken out of context. So for example, I would have liked to have heard what the whole sentence and the whole context of that was, rather than finding a phrase in the, in the whole paragraph that's what i mean you know so i don't know what was said when she said that but i don't think she's provocative i think what she what she's doing is we have to now almost kind of be quite forthright now with some of the ways in which i think the narrative is going towards another way in which, which which is really to keep perpetuating this notion that black people generally black and asian people in this country are just losers that the whole system is totally against us and that our own efforts mean nothing. And the only people that can save us are white people, particularly Guardian readers.
1: You did this report on um, uh, race and uh, ethnic disparities in Britain. What
4: what broadly was your conclusion and what was your involvement with with Kemi Badenoch? The conclusion was this. We concluded that race disparities exist, but the causes of them aren't necessarily racism. So, for example, you could have these ethnic disparities, but what you, when, you, when you go downstream to look at the causes of them, they come in, in, in a myriad of different ways. So it's much more complex. So, for example, just the one in education is a really interesting one where you see disparities at the, at the face of it between black young people and maybe white young people. When you scratch the surface and look at what black people are you talking about, It's not the same. For example, the outcome for Caribbean people are different than the outcomes for Africans. What are the family structures that impact on that ethnic disparity? I mean, in my own community, 60% of it is single parenthood. You're telling me that that is not going to have an impact? All the areas that we looked at, crime, policing, health, what we found was when you went upstream, you found these other complex reasons that explain the disparity. That's all we said. And I think at the time people were just emotional. And we did not at any point in the, I don't know how this got out, Michael, at any point say that institutional racism didn't exist. We never said that. And what I found from Kemi's point of view, she stood ground. She defended the report admirably in Parliament, but then she went on because she was the minister who was responsible for that report, she took it out and then she translated it into policy. And I think, people don't know this, but one of the best documents that have come out of this government since well, the Boris Johnson government anyway, has been this document called Inclusive Prison, which what it did was it actually put into policy terms our report, and so now, all those government departments, and it's quite interesting, Kemi's presence, because she's able to, she knows the Westminster thing so well. So I was very pleased. I found that all my recommendations, plus more, are now policy. And, it's, it's, it, and, and it, because they respect Kemi, and because she articulated it so well, the Craig report is it, it, really doing well, and is actually now realised in terms of government policy.
1: On the 6th of July last year, with ministers quitting Boris Johnson's government almost every hour, Badenoch was the most senior of five young ministers who wrote to Johnson announcing their resignations en masse and criticising his handling of the sex scandal involving the Deputy Chief Whip, Chris Pincher. For the good of the party and the country, you must step aside, they wrote, with Badenoch's signature on top. Johnson resigned two days later. A couple of weeks ago, the Daily Express printed WhatsApp messages from a group of ministers who'd served in the levelling-up department at that time and which show Kemi Badenoch played a prime role in urging other ministers to follow her example and resign as well. Do it! Do it! Do it! She implored one of the government whips, Sarah Dines. Another whom she begged to resign was Danny Kruger. Come on, Danny, you're going to quit, she asked. Danny, she seems to have been a key player at that time in urging people to uh, leave uh, Johnson's side and uh, express their displeasure with well, his government.
2: Everyone who jumped over the edge of the boat was then calling from the, uh, from the lifeboat or from the water to everyone else to follow them, and you can understand why. So uh, I don't remember her playing a particularly prominent role. She certainly wasn't playing a prominent role in my memory in, the, in this sort of agitation against Boris before the end but I remember it all collapsed very quickly I can't remember the sequence of who jumped when but you know Kemi and a group of her colleagues resigned together as I recall but they did so as I did a little later from my position on the grounds that the game was up that it was over that, that Boris had lost the support of parliament and the only person not realising it was him And the only way to make him realise it was for colleagues to publicly call for him to go. And none of us, well, those of us who backed Boris and believed in him, none of us wanted to do that. It was a very, very painful episode. But I guess from Kemi's point of view, once she jumped, she wanted everyone else to.
1: Badenoch then stood for the leadership, with Michael Gove running her campaign. And she did better than most people expected, reaching the final four before Liz Truss was elected. You, Danny, backed Suella Braverman. What do you recall was her basic
2: pitch to the party at that time? Well, I backed Suella and then Kemi, actually, because Suella was knocked out before her, and then I switched to Kemi. Uh, And I, I had a difficult choice between the two of them, so I had a huge respect for both, and felt they both represented the set of principles that I think we needed then and now as a party. Her pitch was to be on the right, so she had a Robust, pro Brexit, economically free market perspective, and she also made a pitch for the for the centre ground, as it were, for the for the mainstream of our party, and her pitch was that she would be authentically conservative, but she would also be able to unite the different factions of the parliamentary party and the party in the country around a modernising but robust and pro Brexit agenda. So. I think she had a very compelling set of arguments that worked. They were right. You know, people from different wings of the party who would voted in different ways previously and, and on Brexit backed her. So she had a very wide base of support. I
1: read out to you uh, some of the uh, WhatsApp messages that The Express published a few days ago. What was interesting was the response. Lord Crudders said uh, that she was one of a one of the backstabbing ministers who organised a coup against a democratically elected prime minister, it shows Kemi's real character as a person who cannot be trusted. Now, those views I think would be shared by a lot of conservatives at the grassroots who, you know, the Jacobites, the modern Jacobites who would like to bring Boris Johnson back. Do you think that exposure of her involvement in trying to get ministers to resign will do her harm in the long term if she decides to run for the leadership when Sunak calls
2: it a day? Well, as I say, I wasn't aware of any agitation in advance of the crisis. My memory is of Kemi resigning and then encouraging others to do so once the ship was hauled below the waterline. No doubt
1: Lord Curtis would say she was a rat deserting a sinking ship. You almost described that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if the ship is sinking, the rats have got to get off it. <laughs> uh, and she was trying to save the government and the party, remember, uh, because she felt that Boris had lost. The support of Parliament and therefore he had to resign. So I don't think that she was being anything other than real. In fact, I do remember in the months before the end, she being one of those saying, there is just no way we should be changing our leader. She did not want to see Boris go until it became obvious that the game was up with him. She backed Boris, she believed in his mandate. And in his mission, and as far as I'm aware, was loyal to him all the way until the point when there was no possibility of him carrying on as leader.
1: Liz brought Badenock back into government as trade secretary and Rishi Sunak expanded that role when he combined the trade and business ministries last month. Some in the Conservative Party see Kemi Badenoch very much as the protégé, the puppet, some even say, of Michael Gove. Stephen Greenhalgh, Lord Greenhalgh, worked with both of them as a minister in the Communities and Leveling Up department. Well, it's clear that, you know, Michael's a big
5: supporter, a big fan. He's on the record of saying that, Kemi was the very best junior minister that ever worked for her, you know, and uh, clearly thinks very highly and um, by implication more highly than any other junior minister that worked for him. And he's a very experienced cabinet minister. He's been around the cabinet table for since 2010 in some form or other. So, you know, at the end of the day, he's a very, very strong advocate and supporter of someone who's
1: now a serving cabinet minister. Um, That's impressive. We've got to recognise that. Stephen Greenhouse freely admits he... Was the person who leaked to the Daily Express Kemi Badenoch's WhatsApp messages from last summer, urging ministers to resign? But you felt it wasn't right for, for Kemi Badenop to be doing that. I
5: don't think it's right. I think every yeah. You know, we're talking about elected people. That I don't. I don't. I, I just think the herd, herd-like aspects of politics is something I don't think looks right to me. And I've been, in, you know, admittedly not in Westminster for very long. I was there for two and a half years as a Minister of State. But, you know, I spent 16 years in the town hall, four years in city hall. And that's the sort of behaviour I've never seen. We're talking about our own side here. We're talking about a, a, a prime minister that secured an 80-seat majority who's electoral stardust. And we have ex-ministers that were until that point have been serving in his government for some time, exhorting colleagues to resign. I think that's
1: wrong. Do you think that will do her harm in the long term if she runs for the leadership again?
5: Probably not. You know, these days, I'm not sure how many people listen to your podcast. Um, I'm sure she'll go very far. Um, I just think it's important for history to note the sorts of things that happen behind the
1: scenes. The knives seem to be out for Kemi Badenoch. Indeed, the Mail on Sunday a couple of weeks ago reported party sources saying she's got too big for her boots by turning down a request to stand in for the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, during Rishi Sunak's recent summit with President Macron in Paris. The paper also said government whips were unhappy about Badenoch missing some of her question sessions in the Commons. And the paper reported a senior source as saying, It is impossible to get her to do anything we ask. She just says no. A source close to Badenoch hit back and spoke of her being the victim of Westminster sexism and racism. But what has Badenoch achieved in policy terms during her four years as a minister? Stephen Greenhouse again.
5: Where she has a huge public profile, quite rightly, is not on policy delivery, it is on the equalities brief and standing up against the culture that I do, dis- I do agree with her on her positions on that. And as a uh, you know prominent black female politician, she's making points that I think are there to be made in a very effective way. That is an achievement, but that's not delivering policy that betters people's lives. That's making a point around the way the society is moving and making you know a statement, a line in the stand that
1: that's not the way to go. But in terms of as you call it, policy that's changing people's lives. I mean, you've
5: been following politics closer than I have. I mean, I'll put the question
1: to you. I mean, you have been doing this podcast on Kemi Badenoch. What, what would you say she's achieved? But Tory activists seem to think Kemi Badenoch is achieving a lot and gave her a net satisfaction rating of almost 73% in the latest poll by the Conservative Home website, the second highest of any cabinet member baden has come a long way in just a few years and being the most senior black woman ever to serve in British government and she'll probably climb higher yet. She's only 43 and right now all the bookies have her as favourite to succeed Rishi Sunak when he finally goes, which could be less than two years away. Our thanks to Tony Sewell, Danny Kruger and Stephen Greenhalgh for joining me. And please follow Mugshots from wherever you get your podcasts so you can catch up with previous episodes. And don't miss the next episode of Mugshots with me, Michael Crick.
5: Mugshots was written and produced by Michael Crick, Neil Fern and Jack Gerbertson. Additional research by Matilda Walters. Music by Jay Bailey. The group editor for Podmasters is Andrew Harrison. Mugshots is a Podmasters production.